Good morning. Man, that song is such a, such a beautiful, beautiful song. It was uh, such a privilege to be a part of uh, this body of believers. And I just want to say thank you for being a, a group of believers who are willing to sing and willing to sing beautifully to the Lord. This morning we're going to be reading in John chapter 17, 12 through 19. And in your pew Bible, it's uh, page 903. John chapter 17, 12 through 19. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which, is, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except for the son of destruction, that this, the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. As you sent them into the world, so I send them in, sent them into the world. And, the, and the, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of God. Thank you, TC, for, for reading for us. Guys, Grace Gives is right around the corner. Did you know that? Hopefully you're figuring it out. I'm wearing the blue. That's a big hint. We're talking about it. There's announcements about it. There's signage. And as we fast approach Grace Gives, we've been using Jesus' prayer in John 17 to kind of guide us and set the stage and prepare our hearts and help us answer questions. You know, big, big questions. Jesus is praying for, first he prays for himself, and then he prays for the disciples. And then in next week's sermon, we'll see that he prays specifically for us, the church. But even today in praying for his disciples, I think it's fair for us to say that is a prayer for us if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you are. I hope that you are that this morning. I hope you would say, yes, I identify as a follower, a student of Jesus. So Jesus is praying. Just to remind you of the context, this is the same night he's going to die. Literally, we are minutes or hours away. He's about to be arrested, a a fake, false, bogus trial, and then they're going to crucify him. And in this prayer, Jesus is not using the language of, I'm going to die. He's using the language of, I'm going to leave. I'm leaving. And over the the previous chapters, chapter 16, chapter 14, Jesus keeps saying to them, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know that. Those are classics, right? I'm I'm leaving. And And the disciples are like, wait, what does that mean? And so what does it mean to them? What does it mean to us? How do you live life 
on earth as a Christian, when Jesus was alive and physically on earth, that was easy. You just followed him around, right? Hey, stop fishing and follow me. Sure, that's a piece of cake. Oh, we're camping here tonight. Great. And you just do, you just follow him and do what he does. But what about us? We don't have physical Jesus. If Jesus walked into your school or your place of work, like, and you knew it was Jesus, like, this is Jesus, and he walks in, he comes up to your cubicle, hey, go get in the bus, right? Every Christian in here would be like, yes, <laughs> yes, I'm in. Where are we going? <laughs> Let's go. Doesn't matter where we're going. Jesus is driving the bus. Where he's going, I'm going. But we don't have that. We don't have literal, physical Jesus to follow around. So what do we do? What's our instruction? What's our motivation? And so our sermon title, wait, first of all, our sermon series, Glorified to Glorify God, Glorified to Glorify God, we are going to see how do we glorify God today on the earth, in the world, without physical Jesus here. And so today we're going to talk about not of the world, but sent into the world. We are not of the world, but we are sent into the world. And hopefully you heard that language as TC was reading. That kind of, you know, maybe that jumped out to you, or maybe you've heard it before, or something similar before. So this is, this is our great task as Christians and as the church, and it's a great tension. How do we live in the world, but not of the world? And, and, and for 2,000 years, we've gotten it wrong, maybe more than we've gotten it right, <laughs> but we get it wrong a lot. Sometimes we overemphasize not of the world, and so Christians become isolationist and escapist. We create a Christian subculture. We only go to Christian schools, and we only listen to Christian music, and we only shop at Christian businesses, and uh, we only work for other Christians and look at Christian art and all of that, and we've forgotten how to be a Daniel in Babylon. We've forgotten how to be a Nehemiah in Persia or an Esther in Persia. We've forgotten how to be an Abraham in Canaan. We've forgotten how to do that. And then sometimes we emphasize the into the world part too much, and we, become, we start to look like the world. We start to think like them and sound like them, and, and uh, we, we begin to slowly but surely deny doctrine and gospel truths. Our practice starts to look a little different. We're compromising. We become seeker-friendly. Or, or maybe for some Christians, they just reject the church altogether because, well, it's more important for me to be out and amongst the people and the community, so I don't need, to, I don't need church. I live my spiritual life out with my, with my peoples. Okay. We need a balanced approach, don't we? So these are going to be our two points. Point number one, Christians are not of the world. And then, of course, point number two is going to be Christians are sent into the world. So those are going to be our two points this morning. Christians are not of the world, number one. Okay, before we do anything else, so we got we to gotta define the word world. Does, you know, does Jesus mean you are not of the planet? 
Um, you are not a human being. No, no. And the word world, it's cosmos, cosmos in Greek. It can mean that. For God so loved the world. So there, in John 3.16, the word world means, likely means the people and the creation, and God loves it. God loves everybody, and God loves the trees, and God loves the planets, and God wants to save it all. But here, that's not what, that's not how we're defining the world. Here, we want to see the world to mean a system of pride that is contrary to God. In 1 John chapter 2, this is how John uses the word, for all that is in the world, and then he gives us these three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's not from the Father, but that's from the world. So you see what he's doing? He's contrasting the Father and the world. The world is all about pride. The world is all about pride. So here's Here's my definition of the world. The world is the self-righteous system, the self-righteous system that rejects the rule of God and the grace of God. The world is a system. Okay, this is going to get deep. I'm not going to lie to you guys. You got, remember in third grade when your teacher would say, put your thinking caps on? Okay. So strap in. The world is the self-righteous system that rejects the rule of God and the grace of God. And we, if you're, go if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be able to recognize that system. It began in way back in Genesis chapter 3, didn't it? Way back in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're doing their thing. God says there's two trees. This tree is the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. Don't eat it. Tree of life. Eat it. What do they do? They eat the wrong tree, don't they? <laughs> they eat from the knowledge of good and evil and thus ushered in a system. They ushered in a mindset. They ushered in a practice. They ushered in something that is controlled by the enemy, the devil. That's why in verse 15, Jesus prays, protect them from the evil one. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Because he knows back in chapter 12, in John chapter 12, Jesus says that Satan is the ruler of the world. Satan is the ruler of the world. He is the mastermind behind the system, the system of good and evil that controls us. And it's deceptive and it's alluring, isn't it? Listen, every government, every political system, every judicial system, every educational system, every financial system, and yes, even every religious system on the planet today is part of the world. It is part of a system of trying to figure out good versus evil so that we can rule our own lives apart from God. The world system rejects the rule of God and the grace of God. Here's the tricky part. It can be moral or it can be immoral. It can be religious. It can be irreligious. It can be good or it can be evil. 
World, worldliness can be buying cocaine or giving to charity. Worldliness can be policies of war or policies of welfare. Worldliness can be found in the red light district and in the Bible belt. Worldliness is everywhere. The world is everywhere. It's in your home. It's in your, our churches. It's in our communities. It's what you're watching on TV. It's what you're listening to. We are inundated with it, aren't we? Whew. I hope he keeps going. This is, <laughs> this is rough. It's so tricky because it's so deceptive, isn't it? Because what, is, what was that tree? It was the tree of good and evil. So listen, there's a lot of good out there. There's good politicians. Not many, but there… So, sorry to anybody who's aspiring to politics. No, no, there are. There are good men and women. Now, look, vote for them. Vote for them, right? There's good schools out there. Send your kids to them. There's good corporations that are doing good things, and they're, they're environmentally friendly, and they do profit sharing with their employees. Buy things from them. Get a job there. It's good. It's good. But listen, as soon as we think that all of that good can save us or rescue humanity, now it is anti-God, anti-gospel, anti-Christ, isn't it? There can be good things in the world, but what we have to recognize is that none of those good things in the world can save us. Your kid's school is not going to save them. Your church is not going to save you. No politician is going to save you. No policy will save you will it? There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus, and He gave His life for you on a personal level. You can be evil. You can reject God. You can reject His ways. You can say fooey on God. You can try to rule your own life, and clearly that's the world. You are in the world system, but listen to me, especially you good Christian kids. You can be good. You can try to do everything right. You can be the nice kid in the class. You can get the little Christian character award at school, and you can be just as worldly as everybody else. Why? Because you're not doing it from the grace of God. It's all just selfish. It's the same selfishness. The brother who left his dad behind in Luke 15 and said, Fooey on you, dad. Give me my money. Prostitutes, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll. The same brother that said that, he's just like the brother who stayed home and said, I've done everything. Dad, I've done everything you've told me to do. Which brother was worldly? Both. Both. They were both anti-father. You tracking with me? Whew. 1717, <clears throat> sanctify them in the truth. That's why Jesus says, look, we need truth. We need truth. We need gospel truth. 
Jesus knows what we're up against. Jesus understands that the, the world system is deceptive, it's tricky. Jesus knows that it, it, it takes wisdom to navigate all of this. Jesus knows that the enemy is trying to trip us up. He is an angel of light, Paul says. He comes masquerading as an angel of light. Do you remember that? Look, the, Satan isn't going to trip you up. Most of us, most of us, he's not going to trip up with something that is clearly wicked and evil. That's not how he's going to get you. Most of us. You know how he's going to get us? He's going to get us with something that looks pretty good. And it starts to replace God in our hearts. Even something like ministry or family. Right? Because he's a sneaky, sneaky devil. The Word says, trust the love and the grace of God. The written Word and the living Word, Jesus Christ, they both say that. Trust the grace of God. Don't trust your own knowledge of good and evil. As soon as you start to trust your own knowledge of good and evil, you're going to get tricked. You're going to be deceived. When you trust the Word, when you trust in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, when you do that, and I'm talking about, so here's the Christian lingo, when you get saved, when you become a Christian, when you say, I trust in Christ alone, Jesus save me, when you do that, the Bible says that you are no longer of the world. Here's how Jesus said it back in John 15 to his disciples. You are not of the world. I chose you out of the world. Christian, if you're a Christian, if you identify as a Christian, you are not of the world. Everybody, everybody in the room, everybody online, listen to me. There are only two options. You are either of the world or of God. That's it. There is no middle ground. These are identity truths. These are position truths. You are either light or you are dark. You're either alive or you are dead. There are no other options. So you have to ask yourself this morning, am I of the world? Am I trusting in what I can do through knowledge of good and evil, through my own effort, my own responsibility, my, my, own, um, my, my own good works? Am I trusting in that or am I trusting in Christ alone? If I am trusting in Christ alone, I am no longer of the world. The word of means belong. I don't belong to the world. Now, can a Christian be worldly? I think so. Some people don't. Lots of prominent pastors have tried to write big books and say that there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. There's no such thing as a backsliding Christian. And to that I say, have you read the Bible? <laughs> Galatians. Paul's writing to a bunch of Christians that are rejecting God by trying to be very, very good. We will keep the law. And, and Paul says, did, did you start with the Holy Spirit and now you're running to the flesh, you're running to the law? 1 Corinthians is a letter by Paul written to Christians, he calls them Christians, 
who are all about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. They're fornicating. They're just mean to each other. They're suing each other in court. Don't tell me there's no such thing as a Christian who's worldly. I'm probably looking at a bunch. When I look in the mirror, I look at one. But listen, just because you act worldly, Christian, that is not who you are. I am who He says I am. And what does He say? He says, you are not of the world. I chose you out. So see, that's our ethic. The Christian ethic is not be holy in order to become holy. No, no, no. The Christian ethic is God makes you holy, so be holy. You're not of the world, so don't be worldly. We operate, we function from who we are. Jesus says in verse 19, I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I set myself apart. I set myself apart to holiness, to the mission, to love, to kindness, to service, to the cross, so that they, the disciples, us, might also be sanctified. Do you see it? Our sanctification, our consecration, is rooted in Christ's own sanctification and consecration. I am holy because Jesus is holy. I am holy because I am in Jesus and Jesus is holy. That's why I'm holy. That's why I'm not of the world. Is Jesus of the world? Okay, one of us knows. Let's go. Come on, class. Is Jesus of the world? No. If you are in Jesus, then you are not of the world. And if you're not of the world, then why act worldly? Why live worldly through either being evil or through being good? Instead, have faith in who you are in Christ. So which are you this morning? Are you of the world or are you of God? Which do you want to be? Have you decided? Have you ever made this decision in your life? I do not want to be of the world system. I am sick and tired of all of this earn it, achieve it, perform it. I'm tired of that on a human level, much less with God. I know I'll never get it right with Him. I can't even get it right with my spouse or my boss or my parents or my kids. Why on earth would you want that system? Why don't you right now today say to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, take me out of that system. I repent of that system of earning, and please, by your grace and mercy, just count me as righteous. Just count me. Just give, just give me your score. <laughs> Why not do that right now? Why not make that choice right now? Let me ask it this way. Who do you love? Whose love do you trust in? 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So th what this is giving us is a very practical way to, to look at, okay, where am I? 
Who do I love? What do I love? And whose love am I counting on? Am I counting on the love of God or something else? One of Joy and I's favorite movies, it's a rom-com, it's older, Fever Pitch. Have you ever seen this movie? It's, okay, two of us, so I'm going to have to explain it. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. Jimmy Fallon is Ben, she's Lindsay. Jimmy Fallon is a middle school math teacher. Ben is a middle school math teacher in the movie. And he's falling in love with Lindsay, but he's a Red Sox fan. And he's obsessed with the Red Sox. He's a 30-year-old man with Red Sox bedsheets. He's, he's got a Red Sox recliner and one of those um, phones that's like a baseball glove. And he's a season ticket holder to the Red Sox. And he goes to every game, never misses a game. When they're traveling, he's either watching it or listening to it on the radio. And Lindsay is starting to feel like Ben loves the Red Sox more than me. And at one point, Ben, he's coaching the middle school baseball team at his school, and he's sitting there at the baseball practice on the bench, and, the, and we see this seventh grade boy standing there with the bat on his shoulder, and Ben's just going on and on, like, why can't Lindsay just love me for who I am? She should understand that I love the Red Sox. I'm all about the Red Sox. And then at one point, this little seventh grade guy looks at his teacher and says, let me ask you a question. You love the socks, but have the socks ever loved you back? It's one of the greatest lines in a movie ever. <laughs> and Ben just sits there with this, you know, dejected look on his face like, ah, oh, listen to me. Listen to me. The world doesn't love you back. The world doesn't love you back. Your favorite team, your favorite sports team, it doesn't love you back. Your favorite sport, it doesn't love you back. Your favorite musician or celebrity, Taylor Swift does not love you back. I'm sorry, she doesn't. She doesn't know who you are. <laughs> Listen to me, your career, it doesn't love you back. That politician doesn't love you back. Your country doesn't love you back. Only God loves you back. Everything else, everything else in your life that you're chasing, everything in that system that you're chasing, it will demand from you, demand, give, give, give more, give more. Yes, the world, the world will pay you. The world will pay you. If you put in the effort into your sport, sure, you'll, you'll get skill and you'll get better and you'll win the championship or whatever, but that's not love. That's a payment. If I work hard at my job and I promote up and get more money, that's not love. That's a paycheck. And it will demand and it will demand and it will say sacrifice, sacrifice for me. I want what you got. That's what the world does. Only God looks at you and says, I sacrifice for you. I give you what I got, and I give it for free. It's not a paycheck. It's a gift. It's a gift. 
Only, you know, even the best things, even friends and family and church, you say, well, Brady, those things love me back. Yeah, yeah, on some level they do, but let's just be honest, even your family and friends and your church are going to fail, aren't they? They're going to let you down. They're going to let you down. Listen, only God loves you back. Only God loves you unconditionally. Only God gives and gives and gives and gives and gives forever and ever and ever and ever without condition. Only God. The world hates. 1714. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Listen, listen. Sometimes we know this. We know, and we know that right now in the world today, Christians are more persecuted than ever before in history. The world hates Christians. But listen, here in America, Bowie, Maryland, Grace Gives, when we go out to Grace Gives, chances are, I mean, it, it could happen and it has, but chances are most people aren't going to throw bricks at you. They're not going to form a picket line in front of Jaira. Stop the Christians. Stop the Christians. They're not going to do that. But let me tell you how they do hate. Here's what happens every year. Car wash. I do a lot of car wash stu stuff during Grace Gives. Here's what happens every year. I promise it'll probably happen this year. Somebody pulls in and they say something like this. They see all of us washing the cars and it's free. And they say something like this. I love what you guys are doing. I love this. Who is this? Who are you? We're the church. Oh, oh, I love it. I love it. Let me buy you pizza. Nope. We're not taking. Nope. It's free. No, let me go get donuts and I'll bring donuts back. Nope. We don't want pizza. We don't want donuts. We don't want money. We don't want anything from you. And that person, you can just see them like dying inside. They have to pay it back. They hate it. They love it. They love the car wash, but they hate grace. They can't handle grace. It's free. It's just free. We just want to wash your car. Hey, guess what? Sports camp, it's free. Hey, art camp, it's free. It's all just free. It's free. It's a sacrifice on our parts to give you a free gift. Which are you? Are you the world or are you of God? Number two, Christians are sent into the world. Christians are not of the world, but they are sent into the world. If the sermon ended after point number one, we might say, why are we still here? God, get us out of here. Beam us up, Scotty. We, uh, why would a loving God leave us here in a world that doesn't love us, maybe even hates us, and doesn't appreciate the message? Well, I, I already answered the question. Because he's a loving God. And who does God love? the world. <laughs> he loves the world. And so God sends us into the world so that the world might believe, so that the world might hear the good news. Christian, listen to me, Christian, you 
are sent into the world. No, no, Brady, no. Pastors are sent. Missionaries are sent. No. <laughs> no. You're sent. And guess what? You're just as sent as I am. You're just as sent as the Copleys are. You're just as sent… You, you, you think of the missionary who's on literally the other side of the planet right now. Who's that missionary in, in Taiwan or wherever? You're just as sent as them. We're all sent. Jesus said, go and make disciples. For some of us, that means go across the world. For some of us, that means go across the street. For some of us, that means learning a whole new culture. For others, that means <clears throat> diving into the culture around you. Every Christian is sent. I have sent them, Jesus says. Do you believe that about yourself? We've been studying Exodus, and in Exodus, what do they build? For God, they build a tent. Do you remember? They build a tent. And what do tents do? They pack up, and you carry them, and then you put them down. What are you, Christian? You're a tent. You're not a monument. You're not a statue. You're not a fortress. You're not even a building. You're a tent. God lived in the tent. Where does God live now? In us. I'm a tent. A tent is meant to move. Everywhere the tent goes, God goes. Everywhere the tabernacle went, God went. Everywhere I go, God goes. Go and make disciples. So where do we go? We go to church. Yes, we go to church. But that's not the only place we go, is it? We talk a lot about going to church around here. We love going to church. And we love you to come to church. But listen to me, church. You come here on Sunday morning to be empowered to go. Listen, sermon's going to get over. We're going to sing another song, right? We're going to stand around. We're going to talk for a while. You guys know this. Some of you are going to bolt out. Some of you are going to be like, it's, oh, it's over, lunch, and you're going to go. That's fine. That's fine. Some of you are going to stay, and you're going to talk for a while. And some of you that are the regular talkers, you, you know, after a while, somebody up there starts blinking the lights. Like, hello, I want to lock this thing up. I want to go home. I'm hungry. You can't stay here, right? At, at some point, somebody in charge stands up and says, hey, y'all, you can't stay here. You don't live here. Go home. Go to, go to Olive Garden. I don't care where you go. Just go somewhere. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go. 
We're supposed to go. We gather, disperse, gather, disperse, gather, disperse. That's the church. This is why we're still here, guys. We're not, we're not here to hunker down inside these walls. We're not here to hide from the world or shelter in place. We're, listen, Christian, we're not at war. Some of us think that the some of us think that the mindset that the reason we're on planet earth is to is to fight a war with the world. Now our enemy's the devil for sure, but listen, I am not at war with anyone. We are a rescue mission. That's what we are. We're a rescue mission. The church does not exist for its own sake. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to make you feel good that you checked the box on Sunday morning. You showed up. You did your due diligence. All right, now let me get back to my kingdom. If the world is going to see and hear the sent one, it needs to see and hear the sent ones. Do you understand that? Here's how Peter says it. Here's how Peter says it in chapter 2 of his epistle. Be subject to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human institution, the world system. Those human institutions, that's the world system. And Peter's saying, be subject to them, obey them, whether the emperor or the governors. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing what? Good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then in, in oh, eight, two, 2.17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And then in chapter 3, verse 15, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Listen, here's Peter's three-part strategy for us. <clears throat> As we go out into Grace Gives, and Grace Gives is not just a, it's a lifestyle. It's not, it's not just a movement. It's a way of life. Live, three-part strategy. Here it is. Write this down. If you don't write anything else down, write this down. Number one, live in the world. Three-part strategy for the church. Number one, live in the world. Obey the people in charge. We're going to have a big, huge party over off Sussex Lane on that big grassy area. Guess what? We got a permit. I didn't get any response. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. We, yeah, there you go. You should clap for that. You should clap for that. You know what? I mean, Pastor Jamie's sitting here. Pastor Jamie spends literally hours of his time pestering Bowie City Hall. Can we get our permit, please? Did you check the permit? And then the police department, the police, did the police sign off? He's making phone calls. Sometimes we've gone into City Hall and said, hey, hey, remember us? Why? Because we respect the government. We want to do it right. We want to do it right. We live in the world. Number two, do good things. Live in the world, do good things. 
wash a car, teach a kid drama, hand out a gift card, collect food for the needy, do good things. And then number three, talk about the hope of Christ. Talk about the hope of Christ. That's Peter's three-part strategy for the church. Live in the world, do good things, talk about Christ. What does that sound like to you? We call it grace gives, but really we call it be the church. Be the church. In the world, sent into the world, not of the world. Church, listen to me. You're going to be confronted. You're going to be confronted. If you go out with us on Grace Gives Week, you're going to be confronted with the world and its system. A system that rejects salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You're going to sit with somebody at the car wash who's going to say, yeah, you know, I, I just believe that as long as, as long as we're all sincere, we all make it to heaven. Somebody's going to say that. You're going you're gonna to say, you're going to talk to somebody who says, well, I, I know I, I've tried to be good and I'm a member of the church. You're going to talk to that person. You're going to hand out a gift card to somebody who's going to say, you're going to try to invite them to church or have a spiritual conversation. I promise you they're going to look at you and they're going to say, well, I'm a Catholic, so I'm okay. I'm not bashing Catholics. I'm saying, I, you can't say I'm a Baptist, so I'm okay. You're not okay because you're a Baptist <laughs> or a Catholic. Look, you're going to, I already said, you're going to run to that person that wants to pay for the free things. You're going to be working with a middle school student that their whole life, all of their life's choices are about fitting in with others. You're going to talk to children at VBS who, who believe sincerely in, with, in all their heart that if they are just good and obey mom and dad, then they're going to go to heaven. You are going to be confronted with the world, with a system, with a way of thinking. But have no fear, church. Have no fear. Jesus has prayed for you. Jesus has prayed for you. Jesus, not only has he prayed for you, he says, I hold you securely. Have no fear. May we, like Jesus, consecrate ourselves to the mission. Amen? May we, like Jesus, humbly and lovingly serve, doing good, and speaking of the hope of Christ in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, you have preserved us. You sustain us. You strengthen us. Send us out. You already have. You already have. The minute we got saved, you sent us. We were saved to be sent. But God, as we emphasize it now during this season, as we prepare for this, this exciting opportunity to go as a group, as a body, as a team, as a force into the world around us, God, prepare our hearts. Humble us. Humble us. We are, we, are not, we, are, we are not of you because we are the ones who figured it out or got it right. We were brought out of the world simply 
by your love and your kindness. And we know you can do that same thing for everybody and anybody. May that be our message. May that be our song. May that be what we say and do and how we act towards others. Fill our hearts today, God. Fill our hearts with the love of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.